Hey, everybody, before we get into this episode with Malin, I wanted to give you a quick update on something. In this episode, we talk about how I was hoping to get Speculate out by the end of the year. Good news. I actually have it in the App Store now. Speculate is my app for building app icons and image sets for your Xcode projects based on SVG or PNG files. And it does all the resizing and converting and updating of background colors and alpha channels all for you. Uh, it's a Swift UI based document app. It is only available on Big Sur. And I was able to build it with my brand new MacBook Air, which I will talk about in a future episode. So go to speculate.com and you can pre-order or purchase the app right there. It's planned on being released on Friday, December 18th. So if it's already Friday for you, you can purchase it now. Otherwise, you can pre-order it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today we have with us Malin Sundberg. Hey, Malin, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, Leo. It's really great to see you at NS Spain. And well, I don't know how you describe see you at Back to Mac, but watched your video. Um, and I really loved your topic. People really love hearing more and more about Swift UI. Yeah. But yeah. I really liked your topic in particular, where you built an app both on iOS and Mac OS. Yes. Uh, your app Orbit. Did yes. I say that right? Yes, exactly. Uh, Orbit. Which yeah. I took a look at and it's awesome. <laughs> uh, first, I'll let you introduce yourself and then you could talk a little bit about your app Orbit. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so uh, as Leo mentioned, I've been working on an app uh, in SwiftUI. We started out making, I, I make it together with my partner Kai. Uh, so we're a two-person team uh, working on Orbit. So Orbit is a time tracking and invoicing app that we made because we, we personally been doing freelancing and we needed to track our time. And we wanted a good Mac app, so we thought let's start out making one ourselves. Uh, and at that point, SwiftUI was out and we didn't have previous uh macOS experience. We have done a lot of iOS work before. So we thought like that's a good introduction to start making a Mac app using SwiftUI. Uh, as a disclaimer, we did end up learning a fair bit of AppKit as well uh, throughout the journey, just because SwiftUI was quite a... Fun. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> unexpected, but yeah, I think that was part of the journey that I thought was fun. And uh, I think it's it's quite helpful to know a bit of, AppKit, uh, of AppKit, even if you are writing an app in SwiftUI. So... Uh, we end up doing that. Um, and then we released that app in one week before WWDC this year in 2020. And then when we're done with that, we started moving over to iOS app because we want an iOS and an iPadOS app as well. Uh, so that's sort of, went, with that, that was like, uh, there were so many new things coming out from Apple. So what we decided to do was to just support iOS 14. Uh, with the new app, uh, but we were able to reuse some components and of, of course reuse all of the learnings that we had from the Mac app and reuse a lot of the network calls and those things uh, to make the iOS app. And then we ended up releasing that one in, I think, October 6th, I believe, uh, early October. Yeah. And now we've been recently shipping our Big Sur updates. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where we're at. Um, Describe the app a little bit because uh, a lot of folks might not know some of the ins and outs of being a freelancer and what that involves. But how does your app help uh, the typical freelancer? Yeah, so it's meant for you to be able to like keep track of how much time you spend on different projects and for different clients. So 
you can you can make it sort of as complex as you want. You can uh, so you can add all of your clients, and then you can add your projects for each of the clients, and then you can add separate tasks or separate categories of work. So if you are work for one client and you're doing backend and frontend development, you can add both of those uh, as different categories. And then uh, depending on how you want to send your invoice, you can use the time that you tracked when creating your invoices. And then if you want to include what exact tasks you were working on and which notes you have attached to those time entries, you can add that to your invoice directly. So many freelancers are often billing at the end of the month for either per hour or per project. So you can do both with apps. So if you have tracked all your time and you want to include it, you can directly import that to the invoice. And then uh, then you can also add your own independent line items. So if you just say that you want to just bill a certain amount of, t- uh, amount of dollars uh, rather than by hour, you can do that as well. But it's very much meant to be like for people who need to track their time and then also want to be able to like invoice and get paid for that time. And it's meant to like make that part easier. Yeah. And I have to say for somebody who's a freelancer, this is like a really powerful application and it's really nice to see something native um, where you can do a lot of this stuff. And like within that Mac framework, it's just a, it's a well-designed app. Uh, Kudos to you and your partner. Thank you. Yeah. We, we really wanted to make it something that's like helping freelancers because like when when you do freelancing there's a lot of things that you have to keep track of and i think like finding good software is hard and many things are quite web-based so that's why we really want to focus on making like a good mac app that you can get started with easier and then just just use that directly and then like i mentioned uh, we want to make that for ios as well because i think people are quite flexible and work on different platforms and want to be able to see the time that you tracked on the mobile device as well so that's why we made the iOS app as well. But we've we very much been trying to focus on making them very different on the platforms. So I'm glad to hear that you like it on the back. Uh, but we, yeah, we were, we were very sort of cautious of making sure that we make it specific for the Mac and make it specific for the iPhone and the iPad and sort of fit the design paradigm on the different platforms. I wanted to let you know about the great experience I've had with this host hosted on Transistor.fm. It's been absolutely fantastic and really reliable. If you are thinking about starting a new podcast, I highly recommend taking a look at Transistor. Now, I know there's a lot of free services around, but there are rules about how long it takes to publish a show or doing any sort of like ad insertion, things like that are going to affect the quality of your show. But if you want to do something serious, uh, serious for your business, I would definitely take a look at Transistor and spend a few bucks there. You can actually try Transistor for free for 14 days. Give it a shot. Try that new podcast you want to do. It's definitely going to be something worth your trouble. Transistor is fantastic when it comes to building up something for your business or something you really want to grow long term. I think Transistor is going to be the host for you. They're really hands-off about the content and what they do. And they have a really great guide I'm going to share to you about how to start a podcast. You may be thinking to yourself, well, 2020 might not be a great year to start a podcast. But in fact, that's not true. There's been a lot of recent reports. And I know personally for myself that my podcast has grown this year, even though folks aren't exactly commuting. So take some time, go to transistor.fm and Use the code Empower Apps. Just go transistor.fm question mark via equals Empower Apps. Links in the show notes. And give Transistor a shot for 14 days and let me know what you think. 
I think Justin and John have done a great job and they continue to do a great job building that platform. And they have a lot of great hosts, folks like uh, Cards Against Humanity and Kickstarter games, folks like that who really know what they're doing with their podcast. That's where they go to. They go to Transistor FM. Thanks, Transistor, for helping host this show and use the link below to give it a try for 14 days. So let's break down uh, how you built this app. Um, this uh, You first started off building the Mac app. Now, have you ever built a Mac app before? No, no, I haven't. Uh, so that was interesting. <laughs> In what way? Go ahead. I think there are many things because we, we do everything, right? We do the development and the design part. And I think what you might notice when you start sort of building an app for the Mac is that it is just like navigationally, it's very different from an iPhone app. And it's something that is very natural when you're using other Mac apps and you know that you have multiple windows and you can navigate through them with your keyboard, you have keyboard shortcuts. Uh, but once it comes to like actually recognizing all those things that you want to add to your app, it's quite a lot of, like you have to add a, put a lot of work in to make sure that it works well on the Mac and that it feels like native to the platform and that it really feels at home on the Mac. And I think that was something we, we have had like an intuition of what a good Mac app feels like, but it was hard to like break down what makes every Mac app good. So like we had to spend some time on like looking at different examples app and really try to figure out like what do we want to do here in order for this to be at home on the Mac. Uh, and yeah, that was something that I think coming from an iOS side, uh, I knew was very different, but I didn't know uh, exactly what components were involved in that. Yeah, as somebody who um, probably develops more for the iPhone, but uses the Mac more often, it's like a it's a bit strange to like be developing uh, a Mac app and getting used to all those different paradigms with like the mouse and the Windows and the things like that that you're just not used to on the iPhone. But at the same time, like I I would say I I don't know about you, but I use my computer probably more than I use my iPhone. Exactly. Yeah. And that's sort of what we were feeling. Like, why, why shouldn't we make a Mac app? Like after the fact, we felt like we should have done this earlier because like you say, it's where we spend like eight to 15 hours a day. Right. So <laughs> may as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, exactly. And this stuff, that's, so I, I built a, I did an app kit app a couple of years ago, uh, a freelance project. And one of the things that I found about app kit, and I don't know when you've dealt with app kit, but just how old app kit is. I don't mean that in a bad way or a good way, but it's just like, it's, it's definitely has a lot of older paradigms uh, from a, from a different era that like UI kit, just UI kit, not even Swift UI, but UI kit has, has brought uh, since that's what I've found about app kit. Yeah, I, I found the same. Like it was quite interesting just to get an a better idea. Like I, I used a Mac for a long time, but I haven't developed for it. And it was great to just get an idea of sort of like the evolution, I guess, of, of the different platforms. Like you can really see that there were certain concepts that were working great in AppKit that have been moved across to UIKit. But then there are certain things that they changed in UIKit and certain behaviors that they changed with UIKit. And now with SwiftUI, everything is very different. And you can really see that uh, it's been a progression in like the different platforms. 
Yeah, like you have a lot more with uh, like data binding, I think, in AppKit and some of the stuff with NS Responder and things like that, that just they do. They're a lot more used to that paradigm. Um, and like, for instance, NS Table View is like an actual table, like with columns <laughs> and rows, you know, uh, which you're not used to uh, on iOS because table views are everywhere, but they're just lists, really. Um, so what were what were your big challenges with developing a Mac app? So. I think I mentioned earlier that we released the app before WWDC. Um, so I think I just want to sort of point out that SwiftUI is in a quite a different state right now. Like, especially for the Mac, we've seen since WWDC or at WWDC, there were so many things that were introduced that were specifically there for the Mac, like keyboard shortcuts, like multiple window support. Those type of things came out very recently, and that's awesome to see. And you can really see that Apple is putting so much focus on making sure that all the platforms are treated as differently and you should be able to use SwiftUI as a tool across those different platforms. But they still very much want a distinction, have a distinction for the different platforms. But back then, uh, that, that said, like back when we started supporting and building it for Catalina, there were many things that were missing, like multi-window support and keyboard shortcuts and those type of things. So that was a big challenge for us to sort of figure out what was there and figure out how to add things that weren't available yet uh, and also doing all that while there wasn't that much documentation. I think we, we all sort of seen that there is not that much, back then it wasn't that much documentation for iOS and it wasn't, it was even less for how to make a macOS with UI app. So that was one of the challenge in the early stage, but I think that's quite different now. You can see a lot more, like this year, Apple has focused a lot on documentation since the new, since WWDC, which has been great. Right. And this was a big year for the Mac, especially with uh, Apple Silicon and uh, Big Sur and the big redesign there. So you said you had to do some, going back to AppKit and SwiftUI, what made you have to do AppKit code within your SwiftUI application? Yeah. So um, a few things. I think the um, just being able to like present multiple windows. So in our, in our app, just to add some context to it, you can see a list of all of your invoices. But when you create a new invoice, we open that in a separate window so that you have like one focus window. So and it looks like an invoice, and that's yeah, uh, that's sort of what what we wanted it to feel like. We wanted to have that use that functionality of the Mac that's quite natural that you have those windows, and that was something that wasn't there. So we had to bridge over to. AppKit for that in order to like present different views and present different windows. But then once those windows are presented, we're taking back, we, we, we're going back to SwiftUI. So we use the, we, we use AppKit to present the window and then uh, the view itself is a SwiftUI view. Uh, so that's one of them. And then some other things were, trying to remember what a good example is. Um, I guess uh, default keys. So on the Mac, you can have a, like, if you have a dialogue or a sheet, for example, and you have a save button and a cancel button, you probably want the save button to be the primary button and you want to be able to click the return key in order for that dialogue to be, like, in order for the save action to happen. And that was something that wasn't there. So I had to move over to wrap our own uh, macOS keys in order to get that uh, functionality with the keyboard. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there were a few other things we noticed. But like, like I mentioned, there was there were some things that were bugs with SwiftUI as well. So, for example, the behavior of a scrollable list or of a list in general acted quite strangely. So if you had a mouse connected to your computer, um, the, the lists would always have gutters for the scroll bar. 
So you would have a like a like a like a thing that looked like a scroll bar on the side, even if it was a list that wasn't scrollable. Uh, <laughs> and that was just uh, the default behavior not working as you would expect it to do in SwiftUI, because by default, if uh, if you can't scroll horizontally, there shouldn't be a horizontal gutter. And that's been fixed now. And this was something we filed as a bug or filed as a radar, I guess. And in general, we've seen that like all those things that we had problems with uh, in Catalina and we filed radars for have been addressed and they were addressed during WWDC. So that's been great. So you said um, you've been making a big upgrade to the app for Big Sur. What's been the particular things that you've had to update in your app for Big Sur? In general, I think we were quite fortunate with our design in that like the way we would like the UI wise, the way the app looked already for Catalina was quite uh, similar to the Big Sur UI. So we had quite light UI, like we had some transparency throughout our throughout our app. So like design-wise, we didn't have to make that many changes. Um, but uh, the things we had to change were things like just how like the icons uh, icons are working. Uh, and like if you have a if you have a list on the side of the of the app, you want that to be a bit more colorful now. So uh, with Big Sur, you have a bit more, like you have an accent color and many things take on that accent color and you have a bit more icons throughout the app rather than uh, text fields or rather than texts in general. Uh, so we did that. So we added a bit more, just sort of like a design facelift, a design lift, I guess. Uh, so we added some color, we added uh, those those icons to make it feel at home there. And then um, we also added widgets uh, for Big Sur so that you can have a widget on your in your control center or, or on your computer so that you can see the running timer. What else did we do? We were starting to work on adding this, the toolbar. So there's a new toolbar with SwiftUI and that's quite common across like on macOS when you're looking at it. Uh, so we started adding that, but then we noticed quite quickly that there were some bugs related to the toolbar. And I don't know if you've been running into this, but it has been, it apparently was fixed in the latest Xcode beta. So if you had a toolbar that had dynamic buttons, so like the buttons were different depending on certain states of the app, uh, those states would not always update. So we noticed that the incorrect buttons were displayed like at the wrong state sometimes. Have you seen that as well? My experience with building a Mac app is I've been moving my Icon Builder app uh, Speculate over to SwiftUI, and uh, that uses document-based apps. And that, to me, is like my big challenge is trying to take the pattern that I was using for a simple command line app and moving that over to a SwiftUI document-based app. And that's been my biggest challenge. That and just designing the app in a Mac way. I'm I'm using quotes for the listeners. Um, but because like there isn't as much, I didn't feel, and I don't know, is it you or your partner that does most of the design stuff? We do it like we do we do both. I guess I do okay. Like in terms of like icons, I usually do the icon design. He does a bit more of the UX. I feel like the user the human interface guidelines are much more tailored to like AppKit. So it's like hard because uh, Swift UI just like gives you such a blank slate. Whereas with AppKit, like there's a little bit more of a template to follow. So that way your UI is more yeah. following the guidelines of, of the OS. Yeah. 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 You're right. And often like if you have like a, like a form or a list on iOS or if, if you have a table view on iOS, it looks very iOS-y by default. Uh, I know what you mean. And that's something we noticed already when we built Catalina, uh, when we built the app for Catalina, we didn't really... 
have like a gold standard of what a Mac app should look like that we saw from Apple. Like even if you look at Apple's own apps, they are quite different. And I don't know, like uh, I, I think it could be a generational change that certain things were just a lot more modern uh, than other apps. So for example, the Reminders app, I think is usually quite a good example uh, for like a more modern Mac app. But I, I struggled with that as well. It was quite hard to yeah. find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping I'm hoping they continue to update that, especially for for Swift UI. So the next step then, I guess, was building the iOS app because you built it for both iPad and iPhone, correct? Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. So how did that go? <laughs> um, that was fun. Like we, it was not what we expected when we started out building the Mac app, just because. As I mentioned, there were so many things changing earlier this year that we just didn't know about. So in hindsight, it was quite nice that we waited with making the iOS app. It was quite nicely timed that we shipped the Mac app and we were sort of done with it. And then we could focus on the iOS app. By no means, we're like, we're not done completely now. We were done with like the first version. We we definitely still have a lot of things left on the Mac app, but we, we felt like we were at a shippable state before WWDC. But I think... What we decided to do was that we decided to try to use those new, those new things that we got at WWC. For example, like making and using the app uh, functional, the abstract, and initializing your app uh, through the through the app type, as opposed to the delegate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the Mac app still has the delegate, uh, but once uh, once you were able to actually just declare your app uh, and your entry point of the app with this sort of abstract that Apple provides, we decided to go with that for both for the iOS app and also for the Big Sur version of the of the app. Mac OS. Yeah. 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 So I don't... Are you... Yeah. Sorry, are you still support planning on supporting Catalina for quite a while? At the moment, we're probably thinking of at least supporting it for an, another six months. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. But new features, you're kind of keeping them within Big Sur. Is that the idea? Um, no, we're still trying to add new features to both at the moment. It's it's just I think I haven't looked at the number lately, but I don't think I don't think we f- would feel comfortable dropping and only being a Big Sur yet. Yes, because the the app is so new as well, so it feels a bit we released it so recently on Catalina, we wouldn't be happy dropping that at this point already. And the and the upgrades are just a lot slower on macOS than they are on iOS. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So Have, yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Have you seen um, your user numbers for for the app that you're making? Do you know where people are sitting if they are in Catalina or Big Sur? It's not it's not in the app store yet. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm actually uh, so side sidebar. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> waiting on my uh, my new MacBook Air because I want to okay. make sure it works on silicon. Because there's some C plus plus libraries that I'm using. Mm-hmm. FYI, check my back to Mac video if you want to know how I'm using those libraries. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I wanted to I wanted to work on uh, Apple Silicon, and it doesn't right now. It's uh, it's just Intel based because of the, the libraries and stuff. So okay. yeah, I want to get the I want to get the MacBook Air to see what I can do to build it, and then how much work it is, and then maybe I'll put it in the App Store. Okay. Hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah, so, right. that's my goal. All right. Yeah. No, that's a, um, yeah. Looking forward to seeing it. I, I was trying to look for it as well, but I wasn't sure. Uh, I couldn't find it uh, online either. But I thought maybe you already had it out somewhere. Version two is out, and that's just a command line app. Okay. Uh, if you go to go to the website speculate dot com, uh, okay. you'll see it there. Actually, to answer your question, it only supports Big Sur. I should say that. Um, okay. 
Yeah, because and I think that's a uh, good, go, because yeah. it's it's it uses uh, Swift UI document based. Yeah, that was okay. Yes, that of course. So that I have to. Yeah, essentially, yeah. and that's kind of the thing I was waiting on. And when they put that out, I was like, okay, like this is something I can actually build on the Mac and put it in the store. Yeah, and I, I think that's the right call. I think Big Sur has so many new things. Uh, like you, you can the fact that you can build an app completely in Swift UI in theory. It's great. Uh, you, you, there are a lot of things that you, if you want to support, that's something we noticed. Like, uh, I will get back to your question about iOS soon. But um, what we noticed was when we needed to, when we wanted to support Big Sur and Catalina simultaneously, there were certain things and certain certain things that we had added to our code base to make it work nice nicely on Catalina. It's not working on Big Sur. For, for example, the fact that we have our own wrappers in order to present the windows, uh, that is something that works great on Catalina, but it doesn't work great on Big Sur. So we have to have yeah, two yeah, separate yeah. implementations. So we started using Apple's new uh, way of presenting uh, presenting windows with SwiftUI, uh, and we're still supporting our own uh, way of doing that with Catalina. So like having both of those at the same time can be harder to maintain and also uh, a bit a bit less readable, I think. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, yeah, because a lot of folks probably had a lot of custom stuff that now you don't need the custom stuff yeah, because yeah. Apple's provided it. So it's a matter of, okay, do I keep the custom stuff to support Catalina or do I uh, use the stuff that Apple provides for window management? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in some scenarios, it's like uh, the things that Apple added are conflicting with the workarounds that you have uh, as well. So, so it's like uh, you have to really try to figure out how you can support both. And there's quite some work there. Uh, so I think you did the right choice. Hey folks, I wanted to talk to you again about App Figures. You probably already know them about their analytics and their app store optimization. App Figures really is about giving app makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. Well, now App Figures can help you track competitors from how many downloads they're getting and how much money they're making to their audience demographics and which SDKs they use. Their competitor intelligence really gives you great context. Say a competitor adds like a new feature or was mentioned in the news recently. With app figures, you can see if that brought in more downloads right away. Got a great idea for an app or a game? Well, with app figures, you can figure out how big that market is and how much money you could be making with it. And that's just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your app or building a new one, app figures has the tools you need that will reduce the risk but also get you more downloads. You don't need a large budget or a data science degree to do this kind of thing. AppFigures has made it affordable and simple. On top of tools, AppFigures also provides a lot of great guides and tutorials to take you step-by-step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. They just released a free guide on that, actually. So go ahead, head to the link in the show notes, and try App Figures for free. If you like it, use our special code Empower3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you, App Figures, for sponsoring our show. So let's talk a little bit about the user interface uh, when it comes to the Mac and the iOS app. And by that, I mean like the flow or the application flow, because we don't get multiple windows on the phone. Yes. Uh, I think <laughs> iPad and Mac is a little bit more similar now, mm-hmm. but like iPhone definitely, it's like, you know, as big as these phones have gotten, they're <laughs> still not able to like put multiple windows on the screen. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how did you design the app uh, when you migrated it, I guess, over to the iPhone? 
Um, yeah, so I think we were, I guess because we are from, uh, we, we're pretty comfortable designing things for iOS. It was quite, it felt quite, in, we, we had an intuition for it, I think. And we tried to, rather than presenting things in separate windows, we went more for like a traditional iOS paradigm. So if you want to see displays for uh, if you want to view the details for an invoice, or you want to create an invoice, then that's something that is uh, being pushed onto the, navig- uh, to the navigation hierarchy. So we just present that on top of uh, the previous view. So we tried to, like we moved to like a tab view on iOS so that we had everything quite focused. So for example, all of your time entries, they are in the time entry tab. And that is something that you're going to be able to, like everything related to time entries, you, you, you're going to do there. Um, and then uh, we have... Those type of, like, that's sort of where all of the hierarchy is sitting. Everything is in its own separate tab. And uh, then from there, we're like, either when we feel like, for example, let's say you want to create a new time entry on macOS, we have a um, sheet for that. So that's dropping down on top of the view. While on iOS, that would be presented uh, on top as a bottom sheet instead. So we sort of use the different design paradigms that, that way so that we... Yeah, just put it in like as it like to make it feel natively, and we we very I think when it comes to we will t- maybe talk a bit about reusability later, but I think when it comes to like the navigation flow, all of the navigation of the app are quite separate for macOS and iOS. We don't really share that code base at all. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to ask about that because like yeah, how much of the code can you share between iOS and macOS? Uh, I, that was sort of what one what my talk at uh, in Spain was focused around. I think we were able to reuse some parts, and those were parts that we intentionally knew would look very similar on the different platforms. So, for example, we have one screen which is a a, a dashboard, and in that dashboard we have uh, custom uh, custom graphs that look. Uh, it, it's not really iOS specific or macOS specific. It's uh, it's it's a graph view that displays. Uh, how much time you tracked for the different for the different periods or which projects you spent time across. Um, so that is something that is very custom. And that was a part that we knew we would be able to reuse. So what we did was when we made that, we broke up those different graphs into quite small UI components. And then we were able to reuse those UI components. But we still put it in like the navigation flow that fits on the Mac and fits on the iPhone. So like the navigation view and the outerlying container is still different for the different platforms and it's sort of uh, it's it's meant to feel native on the different platforms so yeah we can reuse those components but i think uh one thing i want to like point out is that like the idea with swift ui is not that you should be able to reuse everything i think it's more like a tool that you can use and uh, once you're comfortable with that tool you can use it across different platforms and you might get the benefit of being able to reuse certain parts but i don't think it should be like your number one priority. So what we did with the Mac app was that we specifically designed it and we built it with the Mac in mind. And then it was a lucky sort of add-on that we were able to reuse things like the graphs or uh, certain certain like smaller views uh, in the app. So there are obviously parts that you you reuse. So what parts do you reuse, especially when it comes to like the entry point of the app uh, specifically? Um, so I think... If you're making an app today and support Big Sur and iOS uh, 14, then you can have the same entry point. So you have your app entry point. Um, and then from there, it's what we did was to like have, have different checks. So if you are running on a compact device, uh, so if you're running on the iPhone or you're running a split screen on the, uh, on the iPad, 
then that is something that we have a separate UI for. So then we display, like, then we have a different navigation flow. Whereas on the iPad, we would have a separate navigation flow. On the Mac, we would also have a different navigation flow. Um, so the entry point is the same. But then already at that stage, uh, the different platforms take over in terms of how we want the views to be laid out. So to point out a bit more how we do it with Orbit is uh, we have for iOS or for the compact size, we would have a tab bar that's displayed in the bottom. And then we have uh, our time entry tab and our invoice tab and our dashboard tab. And then from there... Um, these are split up into separate files and we have uh, our separate view eyes for those different flows. Uh, and then when it comes to the iPad, we would do something differently where we have a sidebar um, and that's where the navigation flow is starting. So the sidebar has its different tabs and then these tabs take over and have their own UI. And I would say there are certain parts, uh, especially across the iPhone and the iPad, many things can be reused once we have those tabs defined. So like the time entry, once you have the flow set up for the iPhone um, or for the compact size and um, we're, we're like laying out the UI for the time entry view, that would be, uh, that UI would be very similar. So we would reuse the components uh, on the iPhone and on the iPad for that. Whereas macOS would be a bit different. So many things across iOS and iPadOS are directly reused, just that we lay them out a bit different depending on the size classes. And then the Mac is different in itself because uh, we decided to go with quite a different design for the time entry tab, for example. So on iOS, it's a lot more colorful because it's it's a fun plat like it's it's a it's a platform that you often use to like glimpse at. Uh, whereas on the Mac, it's something that you're looking at for a longer time, and we didn't want it to be as strong on the eye, so we decided to go with like a bit of a low key design there. Uh, so there we have two different designs because we wanted to have different on the different platforms. But then when it comes to like the Another view that has the graphs, uh, that one is the one that is closely reused uh, across all of them. But again, all of them are presented from their own independent flows. Awesome. It sounds like it, you have a lot of experience now building on both uh, Mac OS, iOS, iPhone and iPad. I should say iPhone and iPad because it really is a different user interface. Um, when's the Apple TV app coming out <laughs> and the Watch OS app? Oh, I know you're saying that as a joke, but we're so excited to make a TV app. It's it's definitely not our highest priority item. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait, TV. Okay. <laughs> when I said that, I was thinking, oh, she's going to say watch app, because that makes more sense, honestly. Yeah, uh, that's definitely higher priority. But TV is exciting as well. It's so different. So I want to make that as well. Well, as long as you have game controller compatibility, because I want to <laughs> do my invoice with the PS5 <laughs> controller for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, you've you've had all this experience now. If you were going to build another app again uh, for variety of Apple platform, mm -hmm. um, how would you go about it? How would you architect it accordingly, knowing knowing what you know now? I think I've been asked this before, like whether or not I would recommend people to go with SwiftUI when they're like starting a new project, or and I think it depends a lot. Like it depends on the apps. I think. Sometimes, um, I think I didn't really touch on it before, but there are there are things that are SwiftUI is still at an early stage, so there might still be things that are missing or things that aren't uh, things that aren't there yet. Um, and there are like I think you want to look at what particular app you want to make, um, and maybe then you have to go from there. And then there are other things like are you under time pressure? So one thing we noticed when we made especially the Mac app was that things took. Many things that were like seeming really trivial took much longer than we expected them to do. And then things that seemed 
a lot less trivial and we expected to take a couple of weeks and end up taking a couple of days. <laughs> so it's, it's like the custom UI part is like really quick to make. But then there are things like you might want to customize a part of your app. So let's say you have a, um, let's say on iOS, you have a navigational flow and you have a picker. So you have a, like an option in one of your view when you can pick between different options. In Swift UI, that would navigate you to a separate view if you have a lot of options in there. And if you want to customize that flow or customize that view to maybe have like a title in the picker detail view, that is something that's not really there. And it's a lot of work if you would want to make that possible yourself and you would probably have to pull in UI kit for something like that. Um, so that's what I mean with like something like that, you would maybe think is trivial to just add a title to a view, but that is something that's not really trivial and that takes longer. So I think you have to really think about like, how much time you have and how time constrained you are. But in the end, we ended up like making the Mac app in three months, I think. And that included the backend. And then the iOS app was probably one month. So it was still like, we, we still felt like we worked quite fast, but it's more about the unknown there. Working within that limitation, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that it's a, maybe not alpha, but a beta. Yeah, beta exactly. Framework. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think too, it's like really helpful that you're more of a novice in the Mac OS space. Um, because yeah. if you talk to somebody who's been doing app kit development for a while, like I think it, it's, there's a lot of friction there. I don't know when I had Lucas on the show, it was mm-hmm. just like, like there, there's so much that they know about app kit that they yeah. can bring to the table. Yeah. That, like yeah. they feel like their hands are tied if they're yeah. going to build a Swift UI. Definitely. App. And I would feel the same if I started using Swift UI on iOS because I'm very familiar with UI kit. So that was actually a benefit. Like we were pretty much forcing ourselves into using the tool because otherwise we had to go and learn app kit and we didn't really we, we we definitely thought about it. Some days we thought maybe we should have made it an app kit. But I think the fact that we didn't know it and we couldn't just fall back to that as easily as we could do with like UI kit really made us stick with it. And now we have that sort of understanding of Swift UI. And once you have gotten an idea of what is uh, like how Swift UI works, you will get an intuition of what works and what needs a bit more attention and those type of things. So you will get an intuition of how long things will take as well. But yeah, I think uh, that's something that we got because we were able to stick with it. So I think if you have time and you can look into SwiftUI, I think it's really useful to spend the time on it. And then I think once you know it, you will know where you can use it. So for example, uh, our login flow is having a lot of validations. So like it has a lot of a lot of values that you need to enter. So you need to enter your name, your email address. It's not that much for like a login flow, but there are like probably five fields of details that you should enter. And then we do some validation to check is this a valid email address? Is like uh, and check those things that we need in order to make sure that that's something we can create an account with. And in UI kit and I think in app kit as well that would be quite tedious that you always have to like validate those values. But in SwiftUI, you can bind to them and you can just have a condition that if it's conforming to all those different conditions, uh, the button to log in is enabled. And that was something that's like really fast. And I think if you have had the opportunity to learn SwiftUI, you will notice that like maybe you already have an app in UI kit or an app kit and you will be able to know which parts would benefit from SwiftUI the most. And I think you can start there. And then next time you start with a new app, I think it is, if you have uh, if you have the experience, you can start making it from scratch as well. And I think even if you are new to the platforms, I think start with SwiftUI, uh, but be expecting 
to have to learn some UI kit and app kit as well. I think that's that's sort of what the mindset you have to have going into it. That it is possible to make it, but at some point you might wanna uh, like add some very specific behavior, and then you might wanna learn like the platform the, the UI kit or the app kit uh, depending on the platform. Does that Did make it, sense? Yeah, no, but, that's a really good point. Did Catalyst ever cross your mind? Um, yeah, it, yeah, it did. I figured I may as well mention that before, yeah. before you end up. Yeah, and like th- that's that's another thing. There are so many options for people now, especially if you like if you if you are new to either of the platforms. There's so many ways, right? You can just make a Swift UI app and like make it separate for the different platforms, or you can just convert it with Catalyst. And at that point, we didn't have. Kai and I didn't feel like we had come across a great Catalyst app at that point. And we knew that there were certain things that we wanted to customize and we wanted to be like very Mac-y, like the multiple windows, like a preference view and those things. And that wasn't there at that point. Well, you're also building the Mac app first, which makes yeah, a lot, yeah. then it makes a lot more course, sense yeah. to just go, go right to the Mac and do Swift UI. Yeah. But I think even, even if I think we, even if we would have an iOS app now, we would probably still try to build that. If, let's say we would do it the reverse order. We would make the iOS app first and then want to move over to Mac OS. Then we would still have used Swift UI just because I think the benefit with Swift UI is that you can use it as a tool, but then you have the flexibility of very easily being able to go back to AppKit. I know like if you don't know it yet, it's still a bit of a learning curve, but you can do it. There's no behavior that is specific for the Mac or specific for the iPhone that you can't get uh, by dropping back to UIKit or AppKit. So I think that was like a major reason why we thought it's good to use UI, uh, use uh, Swift UI uh, in our situation as well. So not only did you uh, use Swift to build this uh, Mac app and iOS app, but use Swift on the server as well. Uh, <laughs> I understand you built this app using Vapor, correct? Yes, yeah. And how, just briefly, how was that experience? Um, I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't have um, as much experience with Vapor as Kai has. Kai has been building um, a Vapor app since, or a Vapor backend since uh, Vapor 1, I think. Uh, so he has really seen the transition. And I think he he's sort of been keeping up with the different platforms and made a new one for each platform as well. Uh, or sorry, for each version. So with that, I felt like we had, he had been sort of stress testing it and checked, like tried it out and felt like he, he really enjoyed it. And I had heard about his experience. Like we, we talk all the time about like what he's doing, what he's been doing. So, um, he had some really positive experience about it. And that's why we thought, okay, we should, we should do that because for us, we both knew, uh, Swift very well. And it's very comfortable to be able to just learn the one language and be able to apply that on the back end as well. Uh, so we did think that was really good. And then another benefit that we saw was that you can just use one tool, which is quite like, I, I think it's a, it's a, there is a positive thing. That, to that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think many people think of that as a benefit, but once you get into that and like, you can just use Xcode to like build your backend project and build your, uh, build your app. That is actually like not having that context switching is good, but also, uh, more not context switching, more about like the familiarity with the tool, right? So if you've been using Xcode and you're very comfortable, and you could debug simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can even put like breakpoints in your backend code if you want to, uh, and like th- th- it's a tool that you know how to use, and it's uh, it's great to be able to do that. 
Yeah, I talked about that at iOS dev, uh, DC dev camp about building an app that was both on the watch and on the server. And it was just like, there's so much code you can share and just being able to stay with the next code is fantastic. So yeah. yeah, I agree completely. So how, how do you share your code across the watch and the, and the backend? Um, I use Swift packages and mm-hmm. I would say most of the code that's shared, honestly, that's actually used by both is just data structures that are capable. Yeah. That's okay. essentially it. Um, okay. But yeah, any business logic that needs to be used on both uh, for sharing the heart rate. Uh, yeah. Swift packages. Swift packages is is the future. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I noted in my talk. Um <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We're actually going to have uh, Tim Condon on, who's on the Swift server team and has been working on Vapor for a few years. Oh, cool. So we'll have more server awesome. server side talk in our next episode. Yeah. So I'm really glad to have you have you on to talk about your experience. Yeah. No, I think like also seeing how active the Vapor community is has been great, and like it's it's awesome to see how much they're working on it. And uh, Vapor Four came out quite recently as well, so we're gonna. Uh, start migrating to that. Yeah. So it's it's nice too. Like there there's so many things that are still being coming out. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vapor Force is fantastic. Mm. Um yeah, good luck. Good luck to that. Good luck with your app orbit. I'm so glad uh to have an app like this out uh for folks on the Mac. Um looks yeah, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you online, Malin? Um, yeah, so I think Twitter is probably the easiest. It's just my first and last name combined. So Malin Sundberg. Um, and yeah, uh, I, if you have any questions either about uh, about this podcast or about any of my talks that I've given uh, or just want to chat about SwiftUI or anything, feel free to send me a message. Uh, my DMs are open. And you have your own podcast as well. Yeah, um, I, uh, I do. Uh, together with Kai, uh, who I mentioned throughout the episode, and a friend of ours in Australia uh, called Zach. So it's, a cup of, it's called Cup of Tech. I think it's probably best to just go through a link in the show notes, uh, if, if that's something we put in. Uh, but we yep, are also yep. on I'll Twitter. I'll put it in there. Yep. And yeah. I'll also put a link to the Orbit app as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Um, people can find me online on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My company is Bright Digit. You can find it at brightdigit.com. Please take some time to post a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify if you can. And if you have any questions or any comments, uh, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to talking again.